Book Dreams, a member of the Podglomerate Network and LitHub Radio. Welcome to our latest Book Dreams bonus episode. I'm Julie Sternberg, here as always with Eve Yohallam. And my very first question for you, Eve, is... Do you think all of our listeners should read about being inside the stomach of a whale? Hmm. Well, if you like the sensation of being in a state of almost unbearable suspense for 300 odd pages and you don't mind a little gore, then absolutely. Yes. Otherwise, not so much. (laughs) What do you think? You know, you're right about the gore. I am weirdly immune to reading about it. So I completely forgot there is a lot of gore in this novel, which is called Whale Fall. And tons of suspense, too. So you and I chatted about Whale Fall soon after you started it. And after listening to you describe it, I immediately ordered it. It's also getting lots of buzz. And Imagine Entertainment is making it into a movie. So listeners might well have heard about it themselves. But basically, it's about a 17-year-old boy named Jay who goes diving to try to retrieve the bones of his dead father as an act of redemption he and his father were not in a good place when his father died. And then Jay gets swallowed by a sperm whale. Yeah. And no, it's not fantasy or magical realism. Whalefall is straight up realistic fiction. It's written by Daniel Krauss, who's a screenwriter as well as a novelist. He co-wrote The Shape of Water with Guillermo del Toro. And this book has that same kind of dreamy cinematic quality. Yeah, it's surprisingly poetic. I also loved the science of it. You know, the details about diving and the ocean depths and a giant squid. And of course, the details about the whale itself and its innards. It is a terrific and really unusual combination of those kind of elements, poetic language, edge of your seat entertainment and education. You don't often find those three merged in one book. And I love them all. I, for one, felt a little disappointed in the end by the character development. You know, the dynamics between the characters began to feel one note to me, and I started to think, okay, I get it, rather than feeling that Jay and his father really came alive. But I still really appreciate how unusual this book is and how much it accomplishes. Absolutely. I agree on both fronts. We get to the heart of the conflict in Jay and his father's relationship about halfway or maybe two thirds of the way through the book. And then after that, we don't really learn much more about them. And I'll add one other quibble, which is that I felt like the book had a bit of a saggy middle. You know, that there was a structure of disaster following disaster inside the whale, and that got a little repetitive to me. But overall, I would definitely recommend this book for all the reasons we've said. I agree with your critique about the middle as well. I know we were also both excited that Stephen King has a new book out called Holly. Did you end up reading it? I did. And, you know, maybe the theme for this episode should be books that Eve and Julie recommend to each other and then read together, because that seems to be what's happening. Yes, that works. I loved Holly. I'm a little hit or miss in my enjoyment of Stephen King's books overall. After law school, I worked for a judge in Shreveport, and I used to listen to King's Dark Tower series on tape as I drove the interstates of Louisiana. I found those books utterly transporting. 
I remember the first time my now husband, Paul, flew to Shreveport to visit, I was listening to one of the books on tape. And I do mean on tape at the time, yeah. on, my, you know, on my way to pick him up from the airport. And when I came out of my spell and looked around, it turned out I was driving across the border into Texas, which oh was alarming. <laughs> okay, wait, I have no, I'm a complete idiot when it comes to, to geography. <laughs> how far out of your way did you go? And how long was Paul standing there at the it airport? It turns out that Shreveport is not that far from Texas, the Texas border, which I actually didn't know at the time, but it was very jarring. I was like in this whole other dark tower world. And then I look up and it says, welcome to Texas. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. That's really funny. Yeah. In addition to that series, one of my favorite examples of voice of all time is Stephen King's Dolores Claiborne. I highly, highly recommend listening to that on audio. But I also read a number of Stephen King's novels in recent year that did not work as well for me. I didn't love the sequel to The Shining, for example, Doctor Sleep. And I started feeling less interested in the horror genre generally for whatever reason. So I stopped reading his books. But Holly is one of several books that he's written in the crime fiction genre rather than horror. Though let me just say that the criminals here are plenty horrific yes. and it's getting great reviews. So it just kind of called to me as an immersive, just plain good read. And it did not disappoint. So Holly Gibney is the investigator here. She's appeared in other Stephen King novels. Apparently they're useful to have read as background for her psychology and I've now ordered them. But I flew through this book and felt very grounded in its story, knowing nothing about Holly except what's on its pages. In essence, Holly is hired to find one missing person and starts to wonder whether that disappearance might be connected to many others. We know who the bad guys here are very early on. The joy of the book is being in the room with Holly as she figures it out. I love the attention that King gives to characters that just drop into the book and then are gone. They're often very vivid and idiosyncratic and real. The villains, by contrast, felt a little cartoonish, but what they do is nightmare-inducing enough without having them leap into my head as fully-fledged people, too. Anyway, if anyone's on the fence about whether to read the latest Stephen King, I do recommend it. Oh, God. What? <laughs> this is so bad. <laughs> This is so bad that I feel like I'm in a Stephen King novel where there's just one thing off about my familiar world, but that one thing is a living nightmare. What happened? I thought Holly kind of sucked. <laughs> <laughs> We've never been this far apart before. Uh -oh. Julia can't handle it. <laughs> it's okay. That's more interesting. Our listeners who read it can chime in and let us know where they stand in this great Holly debate. Yeah, Sophie's <laughs> Choice listeners. <laughs> no, I, I'm sure I'm wrong because whenever you and I disagree on something, upon reflection, it's usually because I'm wrong wrong. But no, I felt that's like ridiculous. No, no, it's not. Anyway, discussion <laughs> okay. for another time. But okay. I felt like Holly herself was like she was a shadow that Stephen King was kind of pushing around the page. And the secondary characters were only slightly better. I hate to say that because you were just saying that you felt like she was so real. But and I did really like the academia angle and then, you know, three cheers for the poetry shout out. And I've read plenty of Stephen King books that I've loved. Just not this one. That is really interesting. To clarify, I was saying that 
the ancillary characters, the characters that just drop in. Like there's a woman mm-hmm. who I think runs the hotel. Is it a hotel that she goes to at one point and they're looking through records? Yeah, or a motel rather. It's those characters oh, that just yes. drop in. Yes, she was the Trump supporter. Yes, yes totally. Yes, <laughs> those characters, I think, you know, he just does an incredible job with because they really take up very few pages of the book, but he clearly loves giving them lots and lots of of attention. Yes, I agree with that. And I would go one step further and say, one of the many reasons I admire Stephen King is he can capture a character in a forward description. He's just the master of knowing exactly which details to drop in to really get you to get the person. Right. And you're right that by comparison, he doesn't do that with Holly. And I think I just assumed, knowing as I did, that this is a continuation book for her. I just kind of assumed that he's done that already. Yeah, but okay. Yes. And I assumed that too. And I was thinking about that the whole time. But no, like you don't get a pass on that. It's not like this is a huge series. This isn't like Harry Potter book six. Right. She's a minor character in a couple of other novels. And I don't buy that he gets a pass on building her character in this one. Okay, totally fair point. So we disagree. And listeners, we would be very interested in knowing what you think. Let us know. Weigh in. Absolutely. I want to recommend one more book. And I do have to say, though, I'm, a, I'm now a little worried about recommending it because I think if you didn't like this book, I would care more. <laughs> so, okay. anyway, I, I no, kind of want to protect it from between, you. No, 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 no. We can't let this come between you're us. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. So this book, on the surface level at least, is very different from Stephen King. It's called Address Unknown, and it was written in 1938 by a woman named Catherine Cressman Taylor. It's only 96 pages long, and it consists of a series of letters between Max, a Jewish art dealer in San Francisco, and Martin, his friend and former business partner who returned to Germany in 1932, just as Hitler is coming to power. It's realistic fiction, but with a growing sense of horror at what's happening, and it is ingeniously plotted. I mean, just ingenious. So in those ways, it's a little reminiscent of Stephen King, actually. It's definitely going to be one of my favorite books that I've read this year, and it might make it onto the all-time favorite list. Oh, my God. I just love this book. Obviously, it hits some some Julie, um, what's the expression that I, I'm Notes, some, yeah, yeah, sweet spots. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But yes, this is a Julie book, but I am so definitely going to read it. And I'm looking forward to rereading it. It doesn't take long. It's so short and just very, very engaging. It sounds fantastic. And I have to say, this does seem to be the year of the novella. I've been reading a lot of them, and a lot of people I know have been reading really short books. In fact, as you know, I just got back from a family vacation, and there was a moment when my daughter Maya said, hang on just a second, I'm almost done with my French abortion novella. So do you want to guess what she was reading? It must have been Happening by Annie Arnaud. Yes, Yeah. Although happening is nonfiction. So I don't know what very short memoirs are called, like memoiras. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, Julie, I'm pretty sure it's memoirellas. Oh, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I know we've been talking for a while, but can I just mention one more book? Of course. Okay. Thank you. So this is another one that I recommended to you and we both read, The Center by Aisha Manazir Siddiqui. She's a British Pakistani writer, and I am 100% certain I have mispronounced her name, but you can find her name and the title of the book in the show notes. 
So the center is about a British Pakistani woman in her 30s who lives in London and works as a translator of Bollywood movies, but she dreams of translating important literature. And she starts dating this white guy, David, who has native level fluency in a bunch of languages. And then eventually she goes to the language school, which is called the center, that he tells her about where you can learn any language in 10 days with perfect fluency. That's just the setup. The book is kind of everything that happens after that. And it's dark, funny, speculative fiction that goes in directions you really don't anticipate. And it deals with race and class, gender, colonization in very nuanced ways. I listened to the audiobook and I thought the narrator was fantastic. So I wanted to mention the center because you and I both had the same reaction. You, of course, had the reaction right off the bat and it took me a while. But yes, we felt exactly the same way. We didn't like the main character. We agreed she was an entitled millennial and she annoyed the hell out of us. But my son, Joe, who is almost 26, was the one who recommended the book to me. And he had so much more sympathy for her. And he also had very different takes from mine on a lot of her decisions and circumstances. And I find that really interesting. So I want to recommend the book because regardless of how you feel about the main character, it's compelling and surprising, and it gives you a lot to think about. That is fascinating. You know, you gave me credit for reading the book, but in fact, I was just annoyed. And so I stopped. Okay. So, <laughs> I no. can give you all the spoilers if you don't feel like finishing. Ooh, I don't know, but I, I am very interested. And I hope that someday I can talk to Joe about it. Anyway, I think I'm going to say that that is it for this Book Dreams bonus episode. We always love hearing from you. Please let us know what you're reading and loving. You can reach us at contact at bookdreamspodcast.com. We're also on Instagram. Many thanks to our producer, Gianfranco Lentini, and to our theme music composer, Maya Polsky. You can find me at evejohallam.com and julie at juliesternberg.com. And check out the podcast website, www.bookdreamspodcast.com. Until next time, happy book dreaming. Happy book dreaming. Love, come listen to Book Dreams with Julie.